And then also what I found was the amount of work given to the higher net worth clients was not more than the work for the everyday client. Whether you had half a million dollars right. or a million dollars, the amount of investment management was the same. No one's like looking at the million dollar person's account right. more, but they're paying double the fee. Mm. They're paying 10, 12 grand to the firm every year, as opposed to six grand to the firm with the lower value client. And so just because your investment portfolio is larger doesn't mean you're actually receiving any more value from the advisor. But if your portfolio is larger, you're paying the advisor a lot more. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to a certified financial planner. Do not worry. He's a good one. You know, if I've picked, if I've picked my guests, they're, all, they're always good. It's actually, it's actually interesting. Uh, I've, I've been looking at, I don't know if you guys know my journey. Uh, there was a point in time I was looking at getting my CFP license and getting my whole financial advisory practice going. And the more I got into it, the more I realized incentives are not aligned. In the industry, mm-hmm. at least the way I would have wanted to treat my clients or my people that I'm advising, they were not, just not aligned with my, so I just completely debacled that idea. But here comes Leland Gross, our guest for today, who has figured out a way to bend that traditional model of financial planning, which is usually by asset under management, that if we're going to manage a million, million dollars of your money, we're going to take a percentage of that. It could vary from half a percent to 3%, depending upon who you're working with. And some, even probably the range is even outside of that that I just gave you. But it's a percentage of the asset under management. And I've become a big fan of flat fee service offerings. And Leland actually offered just that. So what we're going to talk be talking about in this episode is going to be really around, not necessarily about the model, but what does financial planning look like when you're, in, when you're not really incentivized in selling somebody an insurance product, do they want, even if they don't want it? Or a stock portfolio, even that's even if it's not the perfect alignment with what they want, you can give them, you can direct them in non-traditional assets as well, if that makes sense, right? So we're going to be talking really financial planning, which is unfiltered, and it's not nearly unencumbered by any any biased motivations from the provider's perspective. Lynn, I've, I've definitely talked to you up right now, man. So um, I'm sure we'll deliver. Uh, what thanks, thanks, show, buddy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely, definitely, Leland. So, uh, Bill, we always open this show with one question. That's my favorite question. Not, not that others are not. It's a great opening question, which is, what does migrate to wealth, the name of our show, what does that mean to you? It's a great question. And I actually, I am not blowing smoke. I actually genuinely love the phrase because it can be interpreted so, so many ways, which you've seen probably through everyone's answers. To me, when I think of wealth, I do naturally think of money but not in a sense of just gaining more money. In my opinion, money is a tool in order to build wealth, wealth being defined as the quality of life, the life we internally long for. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, more time with my kids or living in a different area or, you know, more date nights or freedom or travel, you name it. Migrate to wealth to me feels like the financial planning process, which is saying, Hey, in our life, we have lots of resources. We have our time, we have our health, we have our relationships, we have our money, we have our mind. 
And how do we align those things in order to build the life we ultimately desire? And when you have that, it doesn't really matter what's in your bank as much as are the resources in your bank aligning to actually produce for you a wealthy lifestyle in whatever that define what in whatever way you define that. Um, so to me, that's what my wealth means is how do we build the life you long for and use the resources at your disposal to do so? Love that, man. That is so aligned. It seemed like you have read our script that I gave you. I didn't. Oh, but thank you for <laughs> thank you for sharing your perspective because I think it really is. Because I think the question that everyone should ask for once they're going to the planning phase for their finances is, it's not how much money I want because there's no amount of money that's enough for you or me or anybody. It just never is. If you had a million dollars, you would want $10 billion. If you want $10 billion, you'd want a trillion dollars. There's just no end. If that's the question you're asking, how much money is good for me? The question really asking is, what kind of life do I want to live? 10 years from today, 20 years from today. I'd always love to work backwards from decades out. Because if I ask somebody, what do they want tomorrow? I never get a good answer, right? Because I want a Ferrari. But if you ask the question, what kind of life do you want to live 20, 30, 40 years from today? It's a little bit more thoughtful answer, right? It's not about Ferrari. It's about what do I want to leave behind? What kind of kids do I want to raise? How do I want to be remembered by my kids, by my family, by my friends, right? Just the answer just changes. And that's really, if that's a starting point, and the vectors that you were talking about, your mind, your body, your relationship, your all the other vectors get aligned. And the money then becomes an enabler for that. It could yeah. be a million dollars for you. It could be $12 million for me. It could be 500K for somebody, right? So that number now has a relationship with the kind of life you're trying to design. Now, that does not mean I say that, but I want to caveat that with one thing. And I would love to get your perspective. People are going to say, well... I don't know, but if I change my mind five years from today, I don't want that anymore. I would rather have a $10 million lifestyle than a 500K lifestyle. There's, there's nothing wrong in that. We just have to change the way things are organized, the way you're using your time right now, your resources right now. We just have to reshuffle that. That doesn't mean that no anyone's tying you down to say, no, two months ago, you told me this is your goal. You cannot change your goal from 500K to a $10 million. I'm making these numbers up. I don't know what your number is. So Leland, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, on that on that last part, money touches every area of your life. And so your life isn't static. Who I was 10 years ago is not who I am today. Yeah. And so money is changing. It's it's more fluid than static. And you're right in saying one of the things I tell my prospective clients, people who are thinking about hiring me, is if your goal alone and hiring me is because is that you just want more money, that more money is the goal. We're not a good fit. You're going to fire me. You're going to fire any advisor because they're never going to be able to achieve that in a way that you want because you'll never have enough. Correct. But if your goal is, you know, like you said, to to live in a different area or to live in a bigger house or to live a certain quality of life, then we can work that backwards and align that to your values and your resources. And that's when we can really see a lot of fruitful planning. I always ask clients, three questions. I didn't come up with them. They're from Institute that does a lot of financial psychology and financial life planning. How do we plan your life? But the first question is, if money was not an obstacle, if you really like take money off the table, what would your life look like? How would you live your life? Yeah. To try and gauge like, how do you want to spend your time? And then you work backwards and you say, okay, you've been given a terminal illness and you have 
one year to live? How how does that change things? What do you prioritize? And then the third question is, all right, you that timeline was sped up. You have one day to live. What do you regret not having done? If if this was it's an amazing set of questions, man. I really like it. And it I really like it. And it brings out the core of people in what they want. Because so often what we actually deeply desire is not aligned with how we live our days. Right. Because we go to work and we're just in a job because we need to pay for our life. And Mm -hmm. and there's not a ton of clarity or direction or vision to our life. But if we can instill that, then we can really begin to gain ground on what is it you actually want? And then great, what are your values? What are the resources at your disposal? And now how do we align that? And like you said, if that changes or if we need to make some drastic changes now in order to achieve that, great. You're more likely to actually move toward taking action if you have a clear vision than if I'm just saying, hey, you should save more into this investment yeah. account. You know, that doesn't promote any sort of action. No, it doesn't. And this is amazing because let's repeat that question. I'm going to repeat it. You tell me if I got it right. The first question really is, if money was not an object, right? if you have access to all the money and resources in the world, what kind of life would you want to live? That's was. Mm-hmm. Second question is, you were diagnosed with a terminal illness and you got one year to live. What kind of life would you want to live? And really the third question is, which is the core of it, is you that, that time the doctor lied to you that you only have one day to live. What kind of life would you, what, what would you regret? What would you regret not doing? How would you prioritize that day? Right? Because you really have mm-hmm. one yet. That, yeah, I think the, the really, that's what I liked about that question is you're, you're narrowing down the window of, of how much time people have. Because I really feel a lot of us can't imagine the life we want to live because we think we have decades of our life, right? We're going to live, we're going to outlive everybody and we have enough time in our hand. And I was thinking about this the other day. I have two daughters, eight and nine years old. And I remember when they were two months old and I'm like, oh, they, I wish they could stop crying. Oh my God, I can't do 18 years of that. And I love them. But now I look back and they're eight and 10. I'm looking back. I'm like, it was just like yesterday. And I, it seemed when you're looking out, it seemed so long. But when you look back, it seems like it's a fraction of a second. Things have happened, right? So wh- while we all... We all would have long life, and that is my hope and desire that everyone lives beyond a certain amount, which is 120, 150, whatever your number is. But that time's going to come very fast. You're standing at that 120 age, you're looking back, and you're going to look back at life as in it just flew away, and you didn't get a mm-hmm. chance to do anything. So what I love about these questions is it actually brings you to that point of morbidity, right, where you're mm-hmm. aware that you don't have much time. So it brings urgency. It brings prioritization. So Leland, the question I have for you is at that point is when you're talking about these questions to your to your client base or prospective or current clients, do people have answers? It stumps them for sure. And I don't think they're expecting questions like that to come from a financial advisor. I think yeah. they sit down with a financial planner and they have an expectation for, you know, you're going to ask me how much I save or when I want to retire or what my goals are. Asking someone what their goals are is a weak question. They don't know. Or like you said, their goal is to have a Ferrari or something. Yeah. We want to be able to drill deeper and notice none of those questions really have to do with when do you want to retire? How much do you right. want to save? 
How do you, what's your risk tolerance? All of that is secondary, tertiary. And so it kind of throws people off. And I like that. It gets them outside of the, I'm meeting with a financial advisor paradigm. They're, they're checking their baggage that they have with finance people at the door. And then when they can, and sometimes we have to do extra exercises, they're like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. And it's like, okay, close your eyes, take a breath. Like where, picture it in your head. Like where are you standing? Who's with you? What, what? Are you going to be doing later today? You know, are you in a rush for anything? You know, trying to get people to visualize. But people do, they will come out with questions or or answers to the questions. And it's really amazing kind of the conversations that come out of that. And as you know, people, we are, we are such creatures of our hearts. There's so much desire. There's so much happening inside of us all day, every day. Yeah, And so often we're out of touch with that. But when you get someone in touch with that, the conversations that arise are really powerful, really amazing. And you hear mostly the things that I hear are, I have time and I'm spending it with the people I love. That, that if I could boil down all the answers, those are those are the key things. Like if I had a year, I would plan a trip with my family and my best friends and I would pay for it and we would all go to this place and be together. If I had one day, what I would regret is not having spent as much time as I could have with, you know, my parents or my kids. Um, no. It often comes down to this pure, I just want the ability to spend my time how I want with the people that matter most to me is is the most common thread. It looks a lot of different ways, but that's the most right. common thread I see. So that's, and thank you for bringing that. That was going to be my next question. What have you heard commonly, which is great. So let's let's pull that thread a little bit, Leyla. So let's say I come to you and you, we have this amazing conversation and I tell you exactly that. Where do I go from there, right? How does that journey look now? Okay, now you have made me cry. You have made me think that, uh, made me question some of the beliefs that I want a Ferrari. Do I really want a Ferrari? I, what I actually want is time, right? So what's the next step from there? Then we have a conversation about what's preventing you from doing that. And oftentimes it's the restrictions of the demands of the world. I've got to work. I have to pay for my mortgage. I have to, you know, travel is expensive. My kids live on the other side of the country. I can't get over to see them as much. And that's when we begin to look at the resources at their disposal and say, all right, how do we get these optimized? Because I'm not a counselor, right? Like I'm not a minister. I'm not going to help with the spiritual, emotional resources. That's not my forte. My forte is I can help you with this one tool. And if I know that you want this tool to allow you to buy a home in a safer neighborhood for your kids to go to a certain school or to be able to become work optional at an earlier age where maybe you're not just full on retiring, Mm -hmm. but you're, hey, I just want to be able to work less. Okay, well, now we can start figuring out, well, what what are your income needs then? How do we create passive sources of income to be able to supplement? How do we take what you're doing and optimize it? Because oftentimes I just find people are loading up their 401ks, which isn't bad, but it that's one tool. And it's one tool to prepare for retirement. You can't touch that money till you're 59 and a half. Yeah. So if your goal is to be able to buy a second home and work optional at 50, putting all of your surplus income into a, a vehicle that you can't touch till you're 59 and a half isn't serving you And so maybe it's, okay, let's keep doing your 401k, but lower the contributions to where we know you're still creating long-term longevity and safety, 
but then also take the remaining assets and put them elsewhere where we then can grow them, access them for things like investment in a real estate purchase or another business. Or maybe it's, hey, you make great money, but your taxes are horribly inefficient. How do we optimize that? How do we not only make money, but keep money that you can then use at your disposal? Yeah. So once we kind of have this vision, then we go into the work of aligning your resources with that vision and and recognizing what are the things preventing you from living your great life the way you want to. And then in in, in that journey with your clients, there's a point that will come. Let's say I say I want to say that I want to retire by I'm 50. But I say that is that it's not like I don't want to work, that I just want to work for a nonprofit. I don't care how much I make at that point, right? Now, at what point do we talk about the lifestyle? Because if I want, and I'm, and I'm making up a number, let's say I want to travel the world, so my expense is 100000 my desire for my expense is $100,000 a month, not a year, month, a month, but my resources are only $5,000 a month today. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm sitting at 45, and I have five more years to to build that vision. At what point do we talk reality? But kind of like we're, we're right now at a level where we're imagining, we're dreaming, and it's all good. But then what time is it like, you know what, you want that, and it can happen, but this is what you need to do to get there. Are you willing to put in that effort? And is that aligned with your life's vision? Or we need to change a few things. When do we bring that into conversation? Yeah, pretty quickly therein, once for creating a plan and delivering it, we'll have projections to say, hey, based on your goals, in order for you to live off of, you know, one and a quarter million dollars a year, you need to be saving, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right now you're saving seven. And so here's what we can do. And when anytime we're doing goal-based planning, like we're in the goals work, we have a few options. You can save more, you can invest differently, or you can push the timeline back or some some tweaking of the three. And so it might be, hey, you can do this, but you won't be able to do it till 67. Doing it by 50 is not realistic. Right. Or in order to do it by 50, you're going to need a drastic income change. And so what is that going to look like? You know, and is that realistic? Or, hey, if you live off rice and beans, you can make it happen, which I find is kind of the fire movement, the financial independence retire. It's like live off of your bare minimum. So lower your cost of living so that you can save more and then you can hit that earlier timeline. I have a problem with that movement. Not that, not that it's right or wrong. I personally have a challenge because after a while, you can't lower your expenses. It's just impossible. You cannot zero them. But mm-hmm. I think instead, if you start focusing on the other side of the equation, you can, you can balance, which is income is unlimited. It's really unlimited. You can make a million dollars a month. You can make a million dollars a year. You can make a million dollars in one hour. It's really unlimited income. I think when we start focusing on expenses, then the, the, the primary focus becomes expenses. I think we need to optimize expenses, which is perfectly fine. But that's probably what's going to come out of the, the analysis of your goal workshop saying that, you know what, you want this lifestyle. If you live on rice and beans, are you going to be happy with that? Because that's mm-hmm. not what you told me 10 minutes ago. You told me a very different life. And now you're talking about living on rice and beans. And it's unrealistic to say, like sometimes I, I see other advisors working with clients' budgets And it's like, okay, well, we're going to cut out eating out altogether. And it's like, it's just not realistic that someone is going to 
cook their all three of their meals all day, all day, every day. Like right. there's gonna right. be the situation where kids have are coming home late from soccer and it's yeah. just chaotic and you need to pick something up. So you're right. There's only so much that we can go down in expenses. And cutting out your $5 Starbucks is not going to prevent you from retiring. No, completely it's agree. Not, completely agree. That's not going to be like change. Latte factor. What was that? David Allen? I can't remember who made that latte factor very common. I can't yeah, remember. Like, if you invested $5 a day for uh, however yeah. many, like, sure. But, and maybe if you have like a true addiction and you're spending, you know, $1,000 at Starbucks a month, okay, we can optimize yeah. that. But that's not reality. And I'm with you. It feels harder to increase our income than it actually is. It's not as hard to increase your income as many think when you get through the mindset hurdles. And there's plenty of ways to do it. Real estate is a huge passive income source. You know, there are certain investments that you can create income from. And those kind of things, like there's no ceiling. There's a cost of living in your area, wherever you live, there's going to be a cost to live your life. Correct. But there's no, like, the government, no one's saying, you know, you can only make X amount. That's the beautiful thing about... Completely, completely, man. So I'm like, the more I talk to my investors, I always find that, well, we want to retire. I'm like, yeah, you can retire tomorrow, but you're going to have to move to Timbuktu. Yeah. Are, you willing to, are you willing to do that? Uh, and it's a very honest conversation. I'm basically saying that, yeah, you want to retire. Everyone wants to retire tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What, but what are you willing to... Everything has a cost to it. But are you willing to pay that price? And it could be money. And that's what, be, so go ahead. that's what I find with the fire movement is people are retiring at, you know, 40, but they're living in a tiny home. Correct. You know, not eating out like, and oftentimes they're not even equating for inflation. So they're going to go back to work in 10 years anyways. Because they they're, they're not building. So I think, I think there's, they're optimizing for something very different, right? Because they're not optimizing for practicality of life that's going to happen in a decade from today, right? Because you may be able to live on rice and beans today when you're single or when you and your wife is there. That's perfectly fine. You may be able to pack your bags and move to Timbuktu. Maybe that is possibility for you today. But when you're starting to bring, expand your life and bring other people into your lives, and when your when your health comes into picture, because as you start getting older, Mm-hmm. Um, we, will, we will all have degraded health from compared to what we have. Some are going to be better than the others, but our health is not going to be the same as it was in our 20s. It's going to change mm-hmm. uh, because that's just that's what aging is. So so when you start combining all those factors, the expenses are going to go back up again. What are we going to do? Are we going to start working again? So, mm-hmm. so I think a lot of that, what I like about the whole planning process that you, if the fire movement is built on a plan, which is forward-looking, I'm fine with that. But if the mm-hmm. fire movement is the plan, what do I need to do today? I only need $300 to eat food. So as long as that's covered and I'm living in my parents' basement, I'm retired, I'm done. You could. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything wrong in that. But then at some point, you may have to come back to the workforce. So are you really semi-fire? Are you really fully fire? Yeah. I think what we're trying to say is that there's path forward where... If you sacrifice today a little bit more and you start focusing on the goals that you have and figure out that there are two equation, two sides of the equation, the income and expenses. And and you want to optimize expenses, but you really want to expand your income. If you want to live a different lifestyle, you're going to be much better in two different multiple things. And I'm not saying everyone needs to make a million. When I say income, 
I'm not saying you should make a million dollars a day. If you, that's what you want, you should. And there are resources to do that. But if you're making $10,000 today and a $15,000 a day or a week or a month is going to make you better, there's, there's very easy ways to increase that by 5K, right? You don't have to... You don't have to relocate. You don't have to do anything different. Just start focusing on those opportunities. And when your brain is when your brain is not focusing on limiting expenses and is focusing on income expansion, I believe those opportunities are going to come to you. What are your thoughts on that, Leland? I just completely agree. I like that. <laughs> I don't have much to add on other than like there's so much, I call it head trash that we get that I will never make more than this or right. I could never start right. my own business. Yeah. Or, you know, my role caps out at this amount of income and it takes us away from income expansion mindset, which is just opportunity mindset. It's abundance mindset. It's a mindset that there's more out there for me from a financial perspective, from a, you know, relational perspective, right. from a, just a whole life ex- perspective. We get really limited and then when you're limited and you're feeling tight, it's, okay, well, I can't make more. There's not another opportunity. So I have to work with what's right in front of me. And you get really short-sighted. And then the only thing you have control over is your expenses. Correct. And so Correct. then you're on expense limitation, not in, like income life expansion. Yeah, completely agree. So Lena, let's talk forward. I know you were with a traditional financial advisory firm. So help us understand that. What did you, why did you leave? Uh, we don't have to go into the personal details, but why did you leave at a, at a, from a principal perspective? And then let's go into what kind of firm do you have right now? And why is that more aligned with what your vision and your, your, more, your, your, how is that more aligned with the incentives that, yeah, that, that you have with your investors or with your clients? Yeah. So I worked in a large kind of, corporate traditional financial advisory firm for six years, which what I mean by that is we got paid based off of the investments in the insurance that we set up and managed for our clients. So the firm's incentive was quantity, you know, just get more money in the funds, get more insurance policies written, more accounts set up. And the problem with that that I kept finding is I love planning. I love everything we've talked about, looking at someone's life and saying, how do we actually move the needle for them? And so I would spend time helping someone figure out how to pay down their debt or how to manage their taxes or their estate plan or purchase real estate, which is an awesome investment opportunity. But none of those things drive commissions. So I kept getting my wrist slapped. It was like in order to help my client, I felt like I was putting a square peg in a round hole because if I'm telling you, hey, we should really take this money you have and purchase a duplex, we'll just say, and that's going to cost $150,000. Well, that's $150,000 that's not inside of an investment account that pays me 1%. Right. So that incentive was disaligned. And then also what I found was the amount of work given to the higher net worth clients was not more than the work for the everyday client. Whether you had half a million dollars or a million dollars, the amount of investment management was the same. No one's like looking at the million dollar person's account right. more, but they're paying double the fee. Mm. They're paying 10, 12 grand to the firm every year as opposed to 
six grand to the firm with the lower value client. And so just because your investment portfolio is larger doesn't mean you're actually receiving any more value from the advisor. But if your portfolio is larger, you're paying the advisor a lot more. Correct. Correct. They're They're not giving you any extra like special treatment. And so I just felt like the compensation model was not directly correlated to the value provided. And I felt like it was misaligned with oftentimes what would actually serve my clients. And that really drove me nuts. And so I stepped away. I started PeaceLink two and a half years ago and decided we're charging a flat fee. You pay your attorney a flat fee. You pay your CPA a flat fee. And it's directly correlated to the complexity or the amount of time or the mm-hmm. like the the work they're doing for you. Right. And then they're free to do what's best for you. They serve you, not their firm. And to me, that really aligned the value to where, hey, you're paying this fee. Let's talk about your business. Let's talk about your estate plan. Let's talk about your debts, your taxes, your real estate, your your investments, your insurance. <clears throat> Nothing's off limits. And now I am free to actually do the work that's going to help you, not just the work that's going to pay me. So let an example. Uh, so go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just a quick example that I've used is a doctor doesn't get paid on the prescriptions they write you. You pay a doctor, you get a bill for the doctor's time and expertise. And you want that because if you go to the doctor and you've got lower back pain and there's two prescriptions, one specifically for your lower back pain and one for just general back pain, you want the one that goes to your specific issue. Correct. But if the advisor or if the doctor gets paid on general back pain medicine, they can write you that. You have back pain. You got back pain medicine. You're none the wiser that there's something better out there for you. And the doctor got paid. That's a bad system. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's the system that most advisors operate in is that they can write general back pain medicine for your finances as opposed to really addressing the the specific medicine that would serve you yep. because their incentives are misaligned by how they get compensated. So Leland, help me understand. So with one thing, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's go deeper into that. So let's say you were getting incentivized by assets under management, which will say that, let's say you were managing 500k of my money, right? You're incentivized to grow that money because if you make $500,000 into a million dollars next year, now you're making a percentage off of a million dollars instead of 500k, right? And if it goes down, mm-hmm. then you're not incentivized. In a flat fee model, so that's one way for me to say that, you know what, maybe there's an alignment of in- incentive. I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear your perspective because you're, you're from the industry. When you're doing flat fee, how do people know that you really care for them? Because mm-hmm. you could say that I'm going to charge you $5,000. I actually don't care. I mean, I care. But I don't care because my compensation is not tied to your portfolio going up or down at that point. So yeah, tough luck. Mm-hmm. Your investment went down. Great, your investment went up. So how do you? How do you? Mm-hmm. How? I don't know if you people ask you that question. Um, but let's let's break that yeah. up as well. It's it's a great question. I'll give kind of two answers to it. One, <clears throat> we reevaluate the flat fee every two years, mm-hmm. and it's based off of or it's based off a lot of complexity, but one of the pieces is your holistic net worth. 
mm-hmm. which includes your investments. It includes your real estate. It includes your debts. And so whether we're paying down debt or we're purchasing real estate or we're growing your investment portfolio, all of those things move your net worth positively. Mm-hmm. And your net worth is a real clear picture of your actual health. If you have a big investment portfolio, but you're riddled with debt, you're not actually True. healthy. True. But if your net worth is moving in the right direction because we're paying down your debt and growing your assets, now we can actually see the ticker of progress. We can see, hey, you are this much healthier because your net worth is, if your net worth is half a million dollars more, you're legitimately healthier. Definitely. If your investment portfolio is up by half a million dollars, you may not be. So we do, we do build in trackers to be able to say, you know, this is how you're growing. So you can see every two years when we reevaluate your fee, your fee is going to go up because we've grown and there's more going on. Um, so there is a piece to that. But the biggest thing is with flat fee, people see the fee. People mm. feel the fee. Yeah. And so I have to provide value because you are choosing to pay this fee. Correct. Whereas when it's hidden commissions, when it's hidden percentage of your yes, assets, yes. you don't, most people, I hear people say all the time, well, I don't pay my advisor. He doesn't charge me. He no, does. you're paying him. You're <laughs> just paying him through lost earnings. Your portfolio made 10%. Well, you actually only took home eight because they charged two. Yeah, I think that's the reason why subscription models for the Netflix and everything else have been so calm because it doesn't, you don't see it. If you're paying Netflix every month from your pocket, cash, You'll start to realize Prime, everything that's in subscription model, that's the biggest psychological reason why subscription models exist now. Because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt too much, just buy it. Once you buy into it, it doesn't you don't see the pain, you don't feel the pain. Except when you're saying you're paying a ten or twenty thousand dollar credit card bill, you'll complain once a month versus every other day when you're starting to pay that bill. I think that's really yeah. the psychology there, right? Where uh, well, it's all tied into the fee. I got an eight percent net return. You may, but your investor, your 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 advisor took two percent out of it. You could have made ten or ten percent. Yeah, you could have had ten. Yeah, you yeah. Could have had had more. And so I like that my fee doesn't come from the investments for that purpose. They mm-hmm. get to retain everything. And again, because they're choosing to pay me, and the fee is really transparent. You know exactly what you pay me. Yeah, and we have to talk about it. And that's uncomfortable. I have to prove value. I have to provide value for you year over year. I had another advisor when I was making this transition literally say that. He said, if you do this model, you're going to have to provide value. You're going to have to work for these people. I'm like, no, duh. You should be working. You should be. Correct. That's really why you're getting paid, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I do feel like it aligns with what my clients want and the ways that I serve them. And I've never had anybody, you know, buck at it. Now I've had people probably not hire me because they don't want to pay it. And that's, that's fine. A, I'd rather you put yourself point. out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not the advisor for everyone, but yeah. the people who sign on know what they're paying and know the value they're going to receive. And I just have to live up to that, which takes care of the, you know, incentive to make sure I'm doing good work. Love it. Well, I think we've, I want to be respectful of your time here. So let's transition to the next next segment. So there is... A, do you have kids, Leland? I do. I have two 
two that are two and under or two under two. So when you were talking about how fast that's going to go, we're in the sleepless stage with an eight week old, and I'm like, it's, it's never going to be fast. It's going to get very fast. It's a good it's Very fast. It's going to get super fast. You're going to look back and like, I don't even remember. Just just uh, one one recommendation. Take. I'm sure you've been given that recommendation. Take tons of videos because you won't remember anything. Mm. Most people don't. I didn't, and I complained when my wife was taking videos. But now that's I'm reliving those moments through those videos. So definitely do that. But the question I was going to ask you was, what's one value that you have learned in your life that you are thinking about raising your kids with? What's one value would you would you instill in them? Yeah, I. So I'm a I'm a man of faith. I would call myself a follower of Jesus. And when I think there's a lot of misunderstandings or, or I think people carry a lot of baggage with whatever it comes to faith in our world, but Jesus was asked, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? What is the one thing we need to be doing? (laughs) And there's lots of commandments out there and lots of ways that people manipulate those. But what Jesus said was, This is the first commandment. This is the number one commandment that you love the Lord with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul. And the second greatest commandment is like it, that you love your neighbor under these two things. If you do these two things, all of the laws and prophets, everything that else, all the other baggage of religion and thing, all the things we're all trying to figure out in our lives will work itself out. Yeah. And so to me, it's, this idea of love like in in scripture it also says god is love mm-hmm. and so like if we're really receiving love if i'm living my life from a core that believes that i am loved and i can love my kids and i can love the people around us wherever they're at in their life yeah and not with any agenda to change them or just just truly to just love them that to me is a value that i'm i'm working on and I'm not perfect. Beautiful. There are days where, you know, it's, he also says to love your enemies and that's really hard sometimes. <laughs> and I'm even frustrating you. And, yeah. you know, but I do think the biggest, in a world the that biggest we, growth, biggest growth will happen when you start loving your enemy. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be the biggest, because the enemy is, the, is really a judgment because mm-hmm. I think I heard sometime long time ago that the person you hate, there's somebody in the world who loves that person. You just are not aware of that quality, that side of that person. You're just not aware of that person's side. You're not looked enough, hard enough to find that one thing that would make make you love him, her, or them. You just haven't found him yet. That doesn't mean the person yeah. is bad. That just means you're being judgmental. Yeah, and I believe we all have ninety percent in common with each other and ten percent of differences. Yeah. But it's really easy to focus on the differences and begin judging and begin viewing people, like taking out people's identity. Like, oh, if you right. voted this way or if you think this, then you're clearly a bigot or an idiot. And now we're putting identity on people and saying you're less than, as opposed to saying, like, we're all human. We have so much more in common than we, than any, than we think. And if I can learn to love my enemy, it, that requires humility on my part. It requires me to forgive people who've hurt yeah. me. And oftentimes it's not, we're not, 
people are walking around with arch nemesis. This isn't like a comic book. It's like mm-hmm. the person who cuts me off in the lane in front of me or the person who is rude to me or whatever. You know, my grade teacher who made me mad. You know, it's like if I can learn to love and forgive Correct. the people in front of me, it's hard to hate people up up close. It's easy to hate someone who's across the country who's on like a social media, man. Social media is easy. Uh, you can hate the whole world and yeah. get your perspective, close your computer, and never be affected by it because uh, you said your word and you left. But actually having a conversation around it, me and my wife, me and my girls were having a conversation around it and we were talking about it. They're like, you know what? They were, they were bothered by something. Why do you think that person did that? They're like, what do you mean? Like, why do you think that person did that? It's a simple question. She's like, I don't know. That person is me. Mm. Like, have you ever done that? She's like, yeah. So are you mean? It's just having those, and yeah. course, it's easier for you to have that conversation. I'm sure I do the same thing. Uh, day in and day out, I have oh, yeah. moments that I slip. I think it's a reminder. It's the, uh, what I was telling them is like, look, if I make mistakes, I want you to have the same conversation with me. I am no mm-hmm. perfection. I'm not sitting here as an image of God because I'm not. Yeah. I'm met- definitely way far away from that. But I'm, 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 uh, I'm working in my, through my weaknesses and hopefully every day we're making slight improvements. Yes. Man, got an answer, man. You actually answered my next question as well, which usually is where the, where the gap in humanity is. So we're going to skip that question. Mm-hmm. Then one thing yeah. is going to be, as we end this uh, episode here and hopefully uh, many more to come, is going to be, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you think to your work, through your, through your experiences that our audience is going to benefit from? We did. We had such a good conversation. I think if I could encourage anybody to do anything that we haven't talked about from like a finance and life perspective, it's just to take a minute when this episode ends, just turn off the radio, turn off the sound, take a couple minutes and just be, be a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> and and begin to note, like, what do you want out of life? What's your vision? What's your vision for right now? Doesn't have to be this huge grand. We're going to feed every person in the whole world. Just getting grounded and, and understanding that and I think really changes the way we show up at our workplace with our families, you know. So I think some of these slow, like day by day touch points with ourselves of what's my what is what am I working towards? What are my values yeah. today, right now? And we're just the ten year vision are really helpful. Love it. Love it. Leland, uh where can people find you, man? Learn more about you. Uh, get in touch with you. Uh, give us give us some ways to get in touch. With you. Yeah, so my my website and my Instagram are all the same. It's PeaceLink FP. So P E A C E L I N K F as in Frank P as in Paul. dot com is my website. Instagram is PeaceLink FP. <clears throat> Twitter is PeaceLink FP. LinkedIn, like all of it, is is that same handle. So it's pretty easy and. For anybody interested, we do two free consultations with anybody before they decide to become a client. There's no obligation. The first is the phone call just to see what are you looking for. And then the second is an in-depth discovery meeting where we really dive into the nuances of you and your life. At the end of that, we give you some high-level solutions like here's you know points mm-hmm. one, two, three, four that we would prioritize or, or encourage you to prioritize to help you move the needle on your financial goals. Um at that point, you can either choose to hire us or you can choose to take that and run with it yourself. And and that's fine by us. You know, we do that as kind of a free value add um, for people. So, Leon, yeah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. 
We'll make sure all the information is included. The the website again is peacelinksp.com. If you if you're driving or if you're listening while you're not on the computer, don't worry, it's going to be in the show notes below whichever platform you're listening to. Uh, so you can always grab it from there. Uh, Leland, thank you again for being on the show, buddy. I know we, we talked about life more than the finances, but it's no different. Hey. Life should come before finances to begin with. Uh, it should never yeah. be financed first point. to approach. Yeah, good planning. Well, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Be well. Thanks for having me. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.